Welcome to Village Church in Kearney. This week, we continue on in our series, Running From On Mission. And the name of the sermon is called Mercy For You. And Pastor David will be preaching from Jonah 4. Let's join Pastor David now. Meet me in the book of Jonah, chapter four today, page 921, if you're using the church Bible provided for you. We're going to look at the last chapter of the book of Jonah. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, what about the third chapter? As many of you know, we're committed to a a preaching uh, team, uh, uh, philosophy of the pulpit ministry. One of our preachers was sick today. Uh, So it's deep enough into the preparation for Jonah 4, we're just going to flip-flop. So today, Jonah 4... We'll get the spoiler at the end of the, the end of the story, and the next week we'll circle back and cover Jonah 3, so Jonah 4. And in light of that, uh, let me just pray real quickly again, and then we'll look at Jonah 4 together. So let's pray. Lord, go before us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. Minister to us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. When we think about both the justice and the mercy of God. You can think about them long enough to the extent that you start to say things like, wait a second, justice and mercy, (laughs) we can't live with them and we can't live without them. Have you noticed that? Have you thought about justice long enough, for God's judgment long enough, that you've started to, you yourself think, or heard people reflect, wait a second, but I can't stomach a God of, of judgment. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? A God of hell, a God of judgment, a God of justice. Isn't that exactly what we need less of in order to flourish and live in this world? I can't live with a God of justice. We can't live with it, but at the same time, do you see, we can't live without it. You think long enough about God's justice and judgment, and you think about it from the angle of when you're wronged, or when someone you know is wronged, or something horrible happens, there's a deep inner seated feeling of the heart, this needs to be made right, that because God is loving, he must be just, he must intervene, that any judge that sits on any earthly court that just says, ah, you know what, no biggie, and just turns a blind eye to wrongdoing, there's something deeply troubling about that, isn't it? (laughs) Justice, we can't live with it, and we can't live without it. The same is also true about mercy, the flip side of the coin, if we could think of it that way. God's mercy. You might think about it long enough to the point that you ask yourself, well, we can't live with this either. What do you mean mercy? Isn't, uh, couldn't that be you know, a permissiveness for evil? Couldn't that be uh, turning a blind eye to wrongdoing? That if you just give blanket mercy when something wrong has happened or someone has deeply been wronged, isn't that wrong? You can't just say... You can't just say, I forgive you, and just everything just carry on normal. I can't live with this idea of mercy, but at the same time, I can't live without it. Because once the outward focus turns inward, you start to examine your own heart. I start to examine my own heart, and I realize, oh my goodness, I really do hope mercy is something extended, because mercy is something that I need. So both and, (laughs) do you see the pickle? Justice and mercy, we can't live with them. There are people who are deeply troubled by the idea of both, but my friends, we cannot live without them. We need them both. So how do we balance them? How does God balance them? How does the book of Jonah balance them? Chapter 4. 
The story picks up at this point of the book of Jonah where Jonah is deeply troubled and upset, mad, furious. He is resenting the mercy of God. Meet me. Turn there. Jonah chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 4, 1 through 3. God's word says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's right about the point of the story where you imagine Jonah like this. <laughs> Why is he mad? Why is he so upset? Backtrack to chapter, end of chapter 3. We're going to look at it next week. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil, their violence. Remember, Nineveh was notoriously known. They were very public, very proud about their brutality and their violence. Be the modern-day equivalent of a, of a terrorist state, modern-day equivalent of a, of a drug cartel, gang leaders, loud and proud about how violent and brutal they are. This is Nineveh. God says in chapter 1, Arise and go to Nineveh. Their evil has come up uh, before me. Go out and speak against it. Jonah does. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, God saw what they did, how Nineveh turned from their evil way, and God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. A spiritual revival and renewal has just taken place in Nineveh. This incredible moment where if we call on his name, turn from our sins, he will heal our, heal our land. He'll restore us. He'll bring renewal. And that's happened, and that's why Jonah is mad. He's upset. It's, it's listen, it's the dream of every preacher that a revival would break out, and it happens for Jonah. And he's mad. He's furious. And he blames God. God, it's your fault. The, the, and he quotes this incredible declaration of the character of God. We see it in the book of Exodus where Moses says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, just, absolutely. And at the same time, all these attributes of the character of God are a description of the covenant-keeping God. Jonah is saying, listen, God, I get this character of your heart for me. I get this uh, character of, of my God for my people, Israel. But don't you dare give it to Nineveh. 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 Evil, wicked Nineveh. And that, <laughs> that's why Jonah is so mad. That's why he's so upset. That's why he says... This is why I fled. All the way back to chapter 1, you might wonder, what in the world kind of motive would drive Jonah to flee, to run the other way? It's because he knew, and it's because he knows our God is a merciful God. And what Jonah couldn't do was stomach the idea of God giving mercy to his enemies. Have you been there? There was wrong with the world. What if God showed them mercy? 
they're what's, the, they're what's the matter with the world. We need less of them. We need less of that. We need less of this group. We need less of that ideology. And here's the, stick, here's the tricky part. It might be true to the extent that as evil is unfolding in this world, it's absolutely right and fitting to say, Lord, would you intervene to stop what is wrong, to end what is perpetuating brokenness and sin and evil? That might be right. But what happens when God shows them mercy? Have you been there? God, do not show mercy to Nineveh. This is why I fled. This is why I tried to get away and go to Tarshish, because I knew that you're compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Don't you dare show love to my enemies. That's what Jonah says, and he's upset, and he resents the mercy of God. And in ironic reversal, this prophetic reversal, in verse 3, when it says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's an ironic reversal going on here because the prophet Moses, earlier in the Bible, there was a moment in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel have sinned terribly. They've done terrible wrong. Moses says to God, the prophet says to God, Lord, would you blot me out on their behalf? Very Christ-like. That's what Moses says. Jonah is saying the exact opposite. Jonah is in some way using his life as a bargaining chip. He's trying to swap positions, not for the benefit of Nineveh, but for the demise of Nineveh. Jonah is essentially saying, God, how dare you give mercy to my enemies? Therefore, you're going to have to destroy my life. I can't stomach a universe where they get mercy, too. So Jonah says to God, destroy me, crush me. Perhaps in a way, one commentator knows, perhaps in a way to kind of put God into a corner for that God would say, oh, no, 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 Jonah, I'm so sorry. Here, let me take back my, don't, I don't want you to die. Jonah, this, this absolute converse of what the prophet should be saying, he says, take back your mercy. How does God respond? Look at this, verse 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> For the reader, it is glaringly obvious. I mean, Jonah is experiencing a little bit of a temper tantrum kind of kicking and screaming on the ground. I mean, this is the meltdown moment in the middle of the grocery store, parents. Jonah, spiritual revival's just broken out. Is it right for you to be angry in this moment, Jonah? <laughs> and I don't want to breeze past this too quickly. Do you, do you see the beautiful, patient, 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 patient heart of our merciful God? We often, like, uh, Jonah, what is wrong with you, bro? <laughs> but what is God doing? Through this question, he's wanting to draw Jonah into his mercy, too. That in asking this question, we were reminded of the God all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Remember where Adam and Eve sin? They're cast out of the garden. They go east out of the garden after they are cast out. But before they're cast out, they hear the footsteps of God coming to them in the cool of the day. And God asks them a question. Why is he doing that? God never, God is not looking for information. God knows everything. He's God. So what, why is he asking Jonah? He's saying, Jonah, he wants Jonah. He wants him. He wants a relationship. He wants to draw it out of him. He wants to draw Jonah near to him. Jonah resents the mercy of God because he's showing mercy to his enemies. And you see in this question just how profoundly so Jonah needs the very mercy that he resents. 
He needs God's mercy. He is the one. He's the older brother at the end of the prodigal story who's furious when the younger brother has come back. The the father has bestowed his uh, celebration and the ring and the fatted calf. Everyone's celebrating. It's a party because the younger brother has come. The older brother is outside mad, furious. And the father is pleading, won't you see, won't you come back in? This is exactly what's happening in this moment right here. God is pleading that Jonah would come back into his mercy. Do you do well to be angry? Now, how does Jonah respond? Look at this, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now, this is not good. <laughs> uh, we've seen this before. The, capture this. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and asks, do you do well to be angry? The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, arise and go to Nineveh. Speak out against it. What did Jonah do? Well, he went out of the city, fleeing east. Jonah arose, went down to Tarshish to hop on a boat to flee from Nineveh. And to, do you see? Oh, no, 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 no. We're going back to chapter one. Jonah, we learned this already, but he's in the, he's in the desert. There's no fish around here. <laughs> Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. Now, that little indicator of east, we see throughout the Bible, especially in the early chapters of Genesis, that Adam and Eve went out of the east of Eden. And all the way through the early chapters of the book of Genesis, whenever you're going east of Eden, it's an it's an image and a picture of being further and further and further and further away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah tried to flee the presence of God in chapter 1 by hopping down onto a boat and into the belly of the boat. Now, Jonah flees east of the city and takes refuge under a booth that he made for himself. You can see him there kind of mumbling under his own breath, trying to construct this thing in the middle of the in the desert heat and sun. It's dusty. Remember, uh, Nineveh is, is modern-day northern Iraq. It's hot. <laughs> it's warm. So here is Jonah trying to put this booth together for himself, and he sits down, and he sits under the shade till he would see what become of the city. And what's he doing? He's sitting back, he's grabbing the popcorn, and he's waiting for the fireworks to come. That's what he's doing. The last that happened with this interaction between him and God is God asked him, do you well to be angry? Jonah doesn't respond at all. He ignores the word of the Lord. He runs to the east of the city. He sits and takes refuge under the booth, and he waits because surely in his mind, God is going to come to his senses and reverse the mercy that he has given to his enemies, and of course God's going to come around to what Jonah obviously sees is the right thing to do. It's time to destroy Nineveh, even though they've already repented. So that's where Jonah is sitting, waiting. This time, not in a boat under the booth. This time, not in the ocean, but in the desert. And the, the thing that he wishes would destroy Nineveh sneaks around behind him. Look at the next verse. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, just as he appointed a fish in chapter 1. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him 
from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So now capture, stick with this image. You're in the blazing Middle Eastern heat. You're sitting under this makeshift booth that's kind of really not working. You are, you are burning hot. You're sweating. And all of a sudden, a little plant comes up over you. Ah, how nice. You can almost hear Jonah. He's, he's just exceedingly glad. Exceedingly glad. Makes you wonder what he was saying. Oh, Lord, thank you for this plant. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. <laughs> Isn't he a wonderful Lord? Saving me from my anguish. Saving me from this destruction, unbearable heat, while I sit and watch and wait for him to destroy Nineveh right in front of me. Watch how this unfolds. To save him from his discomfort, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, he sits there and he waits. But when dawn came up the next day, pause there, that means he was sitting there for a long time. He's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And the airstrike he's, he hopes happens over there becomes the sneak attack that comes around in the form of this little worm that comes to the plant that God has provided. Look at this. When the sun came up the next day, verse 7, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and say, it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> but God said, do you do well to be angry about the plant? As God appointed the fish, so he appoints the plant. As God appointed the, the, the wind to cause the storm over the sea, so he appoints the wind to bring the scorching heat in to the plant that he appointed, to the worm that he appointed, to the sun that he appointed, is the God of creation, sovereign over all things. What is he doing? He's drawing Jonah out. He's drawing his heart out. Now, here's, an, here's another irony. When God asks, do you do well to be angry about the plant? Jonah is actually right at this point to say, I do do well to be angry Angry enough to die, eh, might be a little bit of a reach there. But the reason that he's angry and the reason that it's actually fitting is because what has God just given Jonah a little taste of? A reversal of mercy. Jonah, when I give mercy, when I relent from my disaster from the people of Nineveh because they've repented, when I've provided you shelter and shade, this is a grace, this is a mercy. I'm saving you from your discomfort on a smaller scale. Is it right for me to provide that plant and then to take it away? No, Jonah says. <laughs> well, what's God revealing? What's God revealing in Jonah's heart? What's God revealing in my heart? What's God uncomfortably revealing in our hearts? That whenever we think about God's mercy and justice, when we're thinking about our enemies, when we're thinking about them, we often look with binoculars and those binoculars often always see that the right thing for God to do is to just come down in utter, unequivocal, no asterisk, no footnote judgment. Jonah's sitting there on the side of the hill looking at Nineveh, enemy Nineveh. Certainly, the only fitting response is to judge. But when we look through not the binoculars but the mirror, and we look at the mirror back at ourselves, often, always, all that we see is, Lord, how, how fitting it is for you to give me mercy 
I need mercy. It's been said by another that when we look at others, we see them very one-dimensional and perhaps having done things that are wrong, perhaps having done things that are sinful, perhaps having done things that do need intervention to put an end to ongoing brokenness and evil, perhaps uh, saying things that are false, perhaps affirming things that God does not affirm. But oftentimes when we look to them, whoever they are to you, often we only see the one-dimensional aspect of, of course they deserve judgment, but whenever we look at the mirror back to ourselves, we are very complex, very multidimensional. Well, I mean, I don't know if I deserve that much judgment. I mean, I, had, I didn't sleep well. I mean, I had an argument. If you had the, the boss that I had, you would understand why I said the things that I said. And do you see what we do? We, of course I deserve mercy. We're looking at the mirror. Often, always, the human heart does this. The binoculars to them sees judgment and judgment alone. The mirror to us sees, well, mercy, I think, is quite fitting for me. What is God doing? He's trying us out. Because Jonah is right to be mad about mercy reversed. When someone turns humbly to the Lord and they receive God's mercy, it would be wrong for God to undo that, to reverse that, to say, eh, never mind. Jonah's right about that, but he's completely wrong about the double standard. Judgment for them, always. Mercy for me, always. But God is something, he's drawing something out more nuanced and complex about the human condition, about the condition of our enemies, about the condition of me. And he gets to that in these final two verses. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, which is more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? <laughs> God is a God of creation that has mercy and compassion, who cares about the created world that he has, has designed and made. There's some humor and there's some irony here. Much cattle, where are the cattle coming from? In a way, it's, it, 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 it's some type of comparison that's going on here. Jonah, look at how much I care, even for the cattle, let alone the far greater thing that I care about is the people. It's this huge city, 120,000 plus of people, of souls, who do not know their right hand from their left. Probably what that's referring to, remember in the book of Joshua, when God says, be strong and courageous, I'm giving you my presence, I'm giving you my word, do not turn from it from the right or from the left. God's people, Israel, had been given God's special revelation that they might be a light to the nations. Nineveh doesn't have that special revelation. They need someone to go tell them. They don't know. They're lost. Our spiritual state before Christ is not that we just have to get our act together. It's that we're blind. It's not that we're kind of living and just need like a spiritual Red Bull. No, no, no. We're dead. It's not just that we need a little bit of boost of self-help encouragement here and there. No, no, no. We are absolutely lost, depraved, dead, abandoned. Salvation is utterly and sheerly and completely of the Lord, as the book of Jonah declares. God is saying to Jonah, Jonah, do you see? Do you see how far your heart is falling short of my heart? Do you see this merciful work that I'm doing in Nineveh? Wouldn't it not be fitting, more fitting? Wouldn't it not be right to celebrate 
when your lost son comes home, when the prodigal returns from a far country. And in this, we see God's heart of balancing the scales of justice and mercy. Because every time, every time when we're going to look through the binoculars or the mirror, every time we, we, we look uh, at a situation with justice and mercy in our minds and on our glasses, we're going to see it skewed. We're going to skew it in our favor, and we're going to skew it against our enemies. It's just the default position of every single human heart. How do we sort it out? Who balances the scales? Only the gospel can balance the scales. Only the gospel, only the loving, merciful, just, merciful character of our God at the same time can balance the scales of justice and mercy in such a way that it's both our salvation and our help. The book of Jonah leaves us longing for the true prophet. The, the prophet that, uh, the, the book of Jonah, it leaves a, a vacuum. We're longing for someone to step into the true role of prophet. And do you see how Christ fulfills that? Do you see that Jesus was outside the city? Not that he would look at Jerusalem just waiting for God's destruction to pour down on it, but that Jesus was outside the city dying that God's destruction might be absorbed on his shoulders. Jesus is not fleeing God's call. He's not pouty and mad that God is loving his enemies. No, 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 he's praying for his enemies on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They don't know their right from their left. He's not wishing his enemies' demise. He's praying and dying for his enemies that he, Jesus, might absorb our demise, that we might have life and life eternal. Do you see how ironically Jonah points to Jesus in a very roundabout way? It points to the message of the gospel where both justice and mercy are perfectly satisfied. And what God is showing us is that the gospel, it means that God's justice and mercy are for you. They're for you. Where am I getting that from? Do you notice how the book, the end of the book of Jonah, it ends in a question mark. What happens? It ends in a cliffhanger. It almost leaves us frustrated. I was talking to someone the other day, like, oh, I hate the end of the book of Jonah, don't you? What happens? Does Jonah turn? Does Jonah repent? Does Jonah, does Jonah come to his senses? Does Jonah continue on this path? And does his heart just go harder and harder and harder and harder? And in some ways, the book of Jonah is designed to look through the question, how does Jonah respond? It looks through that question and it looks to the reader, how are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? When that little inner Jonah inside of you and inside of me starts to creep up, and wants to distort justice and mercy for my benefit and against my enemies, God says to us, is it right for you to be angry about my sovereignty over souls and the nations and the world? How am I going to respond? And God tees it up for us. His justice and mercy give us the opportunity they're, because they're for us. And that means that my heart my heart is going to be cold and self-righteous. My heart is going to be harsh. I'm never going to be compassionate with my enemies. I'm never going to be compassionate with people. Because deep down, the heart of Jonah, the heart of the Pharisee, is the one that doesn't really understand the gospel is of sheer and utter grace. I have to see. I have to see first that I deserved 
justice too. I deserve judgment too. And the moment I see that is the moment my heart starts to melt. Because that's the moment I start to look at other people realizing I'm not looking at them. I'm looking at a mirror myself. I'm looking at me. I was lost. I didn't know my right from my left. We try to save ourselves in all sorts of different ways. We, we look to all sorts of different things to look to the side and to side and to measure. Well, I'm surely, I mean, not as bad as they are. Or I've got my act together in my life over here, which, you know, I mean, they don't. Do you see what's happening? A little inner Jonah is being cultivated inside of us. God's saying, Jonah, do you see? My judgment and my justice, if you don't turn, Jonah, you're hoping that it's going to land over there, but it's beating down on your own head. Will you see? Will you turn? It humbles us, and God's mercy is for us. And that helps my message. Because the message that God gives us, if we don't understand his justice and his mercy, it's going to skew our message. Your message will always be some harsh version of you need to just try better. You're going to skew either truth or love. You're going to say deep down, I'm for truth, but you're going to be snarling when you do it. Or you're going to say that I'm for love, but you're going to be accommodating and, and, and you're going to be disregarding things that God has taught us, do you see, until we see both justice and mercy perfectly satisfied in the character of God, perfectly given to us in the message of the gospel, only then is our heart ever going to be healed. Only then will our message ever be truly honest that we do need to be saved. We do need salvation from God's holiness by God's grace. Is your view of God large enough to encapsulate both of those things? God's justice and mercy is for you. It humbles and encourages. And God's justice and mercy now all of a sudden from a heart shaped, melted, becomes incredibly useful for us. Because we've seen counterfeit versions of both mercy and justice. Mercy, when it troubles you, it's probably often a counterfeit mercy that's really permissiveness. Permissiveness of evil that kind of turns a blind eye to abuse or violence or wrongdoing. It kind of says, ah, you know, it's not really that bad. Let's, can we just kind of move on? And, and you feel like, man, something's getting swept under the rug here. And you've been frustrated by that. But that's not mercy at all. That's a permissiveness of evil. Or the converse, the, the, um, the false version of justice, which isn't justice at all. It's actually vengeance masquerading it as justice. Vengeance that overreaches wanting to make things right to just wanting to destroy the other person. That vengeance is not seeking to heal. It's not seeking to make right. It's seeking the absolute obliteration and destruction wholesale, not giving an opportunity for the other person to turn, to repent, not giving the opportunity for the wrongdoer to see their own brokenness, to provide them a path absolutely in accountability and in restoration. But do you see how the gospel makes both of these useful to us? Now capture this, capture this. The gospel balances both justice and mercy in such a way that I look both to the wronged and the wrongdoer. And when I, looked at the, when I look at the person who has been wronged, God's justice and mercy says both what needs to be given that is due to this person when they've been wronged, and that's justice, and mercy. 
what needs to be given that this person might be deeply loved and cared for? That's mercy. Both and, to both the wronged and the wrongdoer, what needs to be given that is due this person? This is sobering, isn't it? But there's a heart of accountability in our God that's actually a part of his loving heart that cannot let evil and brokenness just run rampant. He must step in on behalf of loved for the wronged, on behalf of even love for the wrongdoer. If there's something broken in us, if there's something broken in Nineveh, that they're destroying themselves from the inside out, God must intervene. He's a holy and just God. What is due to the person who has done the wrongdoing, the wrongdoer, and what is loving to the wrongdoer? That's God's mercy. Do you see how complex, do you see, even as I'm explaining these things, somewhere in your heart, your heart is jumping at one of those ideas. How can we possibly give love to the wrongdoer? Mercy, that they might be restored. How, how does this all fit together, my friends? It fits together in the message of the gospel. Because in the gospel, we see both. God is not trivializing evil or sin. Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come and die because we are so sinful, so broken, so lost, so in need of his mercy, so in need of his grace that we have transgressed his law. So the idea, the categories of sin and wrongdoing and right and wrong absolutely are, are upheld. Jesus had to come. And at the same time, as it's been said by another, he wanted to come. It was his desire to come that God does not withhold or rescind. He doesn't take back. But as we sang earlier in the service, God delights to show us his mercy. He wants to. One would scarcely die even for a righteous person. Yet God, even yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Only the gospel can balance justice and mercy. And in some ways, I think it's fitting to leave with the same question that the book of Jonah leaves us. How will you respond? How will you respond? Perhaps you have been out in the far country and you know your brokenness and you're terrified, is God really going to give me his mercy if I turn to him? Certainly I've done too much. I've done too much wrong. You have no idea the quantity of the things that I've done. You have no idea the, the, the quality of the things that I've done wrong. Will God show me mercy? The book of Jonah says, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Look at Nineveh. Look at Nineveh. God delights to show his mercy. Or you might resonate more with Jonah. I don't think I need to be saved. Do you see? I need to be saved. You need to be saved from ourselves, from our own self-righteousness, that little bit in our heart that says... My own goodness, my own effort, my own works, my own performance, that's what's going to get me in. That's what's going to deliver me. That's my hope. And in some ways, the question is extended to us. And I absolutely, and I've mentioned this before, resonate very much so with the older brother in the prodigal story. Or Jonah, our prodigal prophet, as has been called by another. This book is talking to me. How will I respond? Will I see that apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, my end would be fitting in utter separation from God? 
And that's going to humble me. But my goodness, God doesn't leave us there. He comes to us, drawing us out, drawing us near. Will you see your need for mercy and your need for grace? So I leave that question with you. It's a story that in some ways, uh, uh, the book of Jonah itself in these verses doesn't quite satisfy because I think it's a story that has to be satisfied in how each and every individual responds. How will you respond to God's justice and his mercy? And I pray, I hope, I trust that you would see that when you turn to the Lord, you will find in him not a father who is upset, angry, perfectionistic, nitpicking, absent, abusive, you will find a a father who delights, ready to forgive, embracing you in, welcoming you home, saving you from all that you have done wrong, and saving you from all that you have done right (laughs) in an attempt to build up your own self-righteousness. Do you see the character of God the Father for you? Won't you come to him and be welcomed home? Let's pray. Father, I ask that perhaps there would be some, even here today, here in this space, engaging with this message online, Lord, that you have in some way peeled their heart back and exposed an opportunity for you to step in with your mercy and grace. Lord, give us, enable us to respond to you that we might see and receive. And Father, I pray that this would shape our mission as we seek to continue the ministry and mission, your mission, Lord, that you've given to us to make disciples. Would you help us to go out on this mission compassionate and gracious, committed, Lord, to what you are committed to, faithful to your word, faithful to truth, and living in self-sacrificial love in such a way that we see, that the world sees, that there is no better alternative than the character and the loving kindness and the steadfast love of our God who saves. Salvation belongs to you. May we experience it, and now may we share it. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.